Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, right off the bat, I'll just let you know that my voice is hoarse, but I feel fine, and I failed the test that all of us want to fail right now. So <clears throat> I have a negative test, so I'm not spraying anything on you. Uh, I apologize that I sound terrible, uh, but we're going to get through this together, and I've got some tea up here to help me along the way. So my name is John. I serve as our, as our executive pastor of ministry, and uh, this evening we are in the, we're going to look at the third word that we're looking at as we, as we journey through Advent here, and uh, it's, it's love. And Christmas is a pivotal moment in the story of God, and it's, it's also a bit of a prequel or an origin story uh, of Jesus. Now, in movies, prequels or origin stories are, are really popular these days, and they're really powerful, and we like them because they, they help us understand how the character that we're, that we're, that we're watching got to be the way they are. So we see this happen in the life of Jesus, and we see that as we celebrate Christmas, we're we're celebrating Jesus' birth. And Jesus comes on the scene. God comes to earth as a human. And uh, now some of you who are really into prequels and origin stories are like, well, actually, John, an origin story needs to go further back than that. Like, well, that might be the case, but just go with me here. Uh, It's just a metaphor, so don't don't overanalyze it. But um, so the story is the primary person-to-person means of how God's word comes to us. For that, we can be most grateful because a story is our most accessible form of speech. But there's another reason that story is such a powerful means of bringing God's word. Story doesn't just tell us something and leave us there. It invites us to participate and come along. And the story of Jesus' birth is a means by which we take another step in understanding and participating in God's story. So as we invite God to, to be here with us tonight, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you that in that we catch a glimpse of who you are. He became poor so that we could accept the generosity of your grace. He took on flesh so that we could know the peace of your presence. He so loved the world that we could believe and receive and be carriers of your light and love. And as we look to your word, lead us into a deeper knowledge of you. Open our hearts and our minds to your truth and to the wonders of your love. May our knowledge of you and your love for us compel us to love you and to love the world around us. Amen. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So if you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. 
So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day it was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rachmah. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting more nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. 
so we get three definitions of, of love, and uh, it's right in your outline right away, and we'll, we'll read through them here. And so the first is ahava, and uh, ahava is affection towards someone that is not earned or deserved. And so ahava is the first definition of love uh, that we saw, and so, so that's what ahava means. The next one is rachma, and uh, rachma is divine mercy, grace, and compassion. And finally, agape, which is the love that we see in Jesus, is selfless, giving, unconditional, and active love. And as we've done frequently this fall, as we've tackled some really difficult topics and issues, we, we turn again to look at the life of Jesus for our instruction. And we recognize that, as the video pointed out so well, that the gospel writers themselves looked to the life of Jesus rather than to dictionaries or translations to define what love is and define, to define the love that God is calling us towards. So in a sense, Jesus is our translation for how we ought to love. It's a love that shows us what God's love is like. Jesus shows us what God's love is like. And Jesus' life shows us a different kind of love and includes a command to obey, that we may love others in the same way. And so this question that Jesus is, is presented with is an interesting one. And when you read it in the context of what's happening uh, in, in the Gospel of Mark, there's a bunch of conversations happening and a bunch of questions that are coming at Jesus. And most of them are meant to trap him or to manipulate him. And, of course, Jesus never takes the bait. He always manages to, to answer in a way that offers a third way that, that helps people to understand more deeply the concept that he's teaching. And his answer to this question in Mark 12, 31 is, 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 it's a command and an invitation at the same time. There's this obsession with this rightness with God, which ought to be something that we all think about. But Jesus is not just saying, this is how you be right with God. He's not going to allow people who are asking him this question or us to simply check a box and to say, yep, I'm, I'm right with God. We see this in, in multiple different places where Jesus answers questions in this way. Uh, God, Jesus, is concerned about how we love and how we love God and how we love others actively. And so we understand uh, love as an emotion. And as the video said, we love pizza, we love our moms, uh, and, and we use that word love all the time, and so much so that it can kind of start to lose its meaning. And so Jesus is pointing to not just a feeling. He's commanding us to do more than just feel, but to actually activate our love. And so love is something that we do. And we love God by loving others. And we love others by loving God. And, and Jesus is, is putting those two things. He's saying, yes, it's both. You have to do both. And, and that's, that's what this looks like. And living this way isn't just a nice thing. It's not just something that uh, it, it will make the world better, but it's, it's not about that. It's how God is working to transform our hearts and all of humanity. And that's where we get to, to, to our second point here, is that love in this way transforms humanity. The goal of the work of God is not angels or heaven, but a transformed humanity on earth. The goal of the work of God is not angels or heaven, but a transformed humanity on earth. And so when people are asking about how to be right with God, ultimately they're asking about the, the finish line. How do we get to heaven? And Jesus is saying, you're thinking too far out into the future. This is something that should happen today. And, and, and God is about what's happening in our hearts, in our lives, in our world today. 
And the Bible Project video points out that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person you can't stand. And when we think about that, that's the type of statement that in Jesus' day caused his followers to turn away from him. Because it seems impossible, and it is impossible. Who can possibly live up to that? And we like the idea of God loving this way and of Jesus loving this way. But when the rubber hits the road and we think about how this actually plays out in our lives, it's really difficult. If you sit right now and think about someone in your life with whom you're in conflict with or someone you'd consider an enemy, it's really challenging to think about how you would not just in your heart and in your mind agree to, to love them, but to actually take action to show them your love and to live in a way that is loving towards them. The love that we see Jesus is commanding us to live out is not an easy one. And it's a transformed humanity on earth. It's a transformed humanity in, in, in which we're seeking the well-being of others, not just our, our own selves. And we live in a, we're going to talk about this a couple of times, we live in a challenging time right now because there's so much out there that causes us just to want to do this. I don't, I don't have the capacity to go out and love others right now. I'm just trying to love myself and my own. That's, and the, the toxic stress that this season has upon us causes us to close in. But Jesus' word here is unwavering that not only are we to love our neighbors, but we are to love our enemies. And that's how far Jesus is going to take this. He says, love your enemies. And in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 31, there's a whole section in there that during your time this week I encourage you to read because it gets into this, well, I mean, Anybody can love someone who loves them back. You don't have to be a follower of Christ or believe in God to live that way. Everybody can love, a reciprocal love. It takes something different, and it takes a different purpose to love someone with whom you have conflict with, to love an enemy. And here is where the script starts to flip. You see, Jesus isn't just saying this. He models this out for us by how he loves us. We have to remember that we in our sin are enemies of God. We are his enemies because of our sin, and his love extends even to us. And Jesus modeled that out, not in his words, but in his actions. When he comes on the scene and he, he starts trying to point things in a different direction, and instead of attacking and throwing down the, the rulers and authorities in place, he lets them attack him. He loves and he dies to prove his love. God's love has the power to change our hearts to love him and others in this way. And when we in our lives at times have, have hardship with, how do we really experience God in a real way? This is how we do that. Because it's impossible for us to just go out and, and love this way. It's not natural to who we are as, as humans. And it's, I think that's part of why Jesus is commanding us to, and inviting us to live this way because he knows that for you to live this way, you have to first invite me into your life and into your heart. It's only by the power of Christ that we can live in this way. There's, again, so much that just feels wrong and unsettled in our world right now. 
many of those things are things that we are often sheltered from in our first world reality. But in a time where things are more divisive or, or violent or uncertain than seemingly ever before, we, we can start to point fingers at the things that we see are wrong. We talked a little bit about this this fall. We may be frustrated with the political strife that we see. We're heartbroken by shootings and tornadoes and we're weary of a pandemic that just won't let up. It causes us to lose hope and to be anxious and to even begin to turn our hearts towards anger and blame. And so much of these things are, are faceless that we begin triangulating and pointing to all, all these things to, to people in our midst that we can make as easy scapegoats. And as this happens, uh, and as we are transformed, our, our actions can turn from being mad at the world to looking for ways to love it and to serve it. And not by a God who just says so, but by a God who came near and showed us how. And as we are preparing our hearts for Christmas, this is why this, this ethic of love and this commandment of love is such an important uh, milestone for us to, to journey through as we prepare for Christmas. I've seen this same level of anger and frustration in my own life at times. And it's in those seasons when I take a step back and look at how I'm treating the people closest to me or speaking about something that is happening around us that I can see the ugliness of my own humanity. I, re I recognize that I can be, a, as Jesus would call it, a whitewashed tomb, that you know all the right answers and it looks good on the outside. But inside your heart is rotten. And we all have to come up against ourselves and see that we see this in ourselves. And, and what it is is us serving ourselves and on our own, thinking of ourselves first. And it's not the love that God is holding out for us. It's not the, the love that Jesus is showing us. And we, reckon, we recognize that that is our humanity, unchecked and disconnected from Christ. Jesus' invitation to us is here because our humanity needs to be transformed. Jesus' command here isn't just something that we're to dutifully attempt to follow. He's after a transformation of our very humanity. And love in this season of preparing is, is preparing our hearts with a deeper understanding of what this agape love is. And how Jesus is coming not only to show us this love, but to empower us to love in the same way. And as we're empowered by him, we relate with him. And ultimately, the thing that God is trying to accomplish in us through Jesus is accomplished because we've come to Christ. In other words, God is coming near and he's on our side. God is coming near and he's on our side. God's love in Jesus is a love that rewrites our stories. We all have an origin story, a prequel, if you will. Something in our lives that's molded us into who we are. Sometimes those are setbacks, failures, tragic loss, triumph, other circumstances in our lives that have, have formed us into who we are. 
And moments when we're in step with God, in, in a season when we take subtle steps away from God that have left us far from him. That's all a part of our story. There are moments when we feel so close to God, and there are moments where we can see that our lives are far from God. And the Christmas story invites us to remember and celebrate that the arrival of Jesus changes everything. It changes everything in the story of God, and it changes everything in our stories. Eugene Peterson, the translator of the message translation, says, when we submit our lives to what we read in Scripture, we find that we're being led not to see God in our stories, but to see our stories in God's. And think about that first, that first Christmas morning, the thoughts and feelings that ran through the minds and hearts of the people who were looking on. There he is. The one who's going to change everything. And as you prepare your heart for Christmas, prepare yourself to have that response. There he is. There's the one who's going to change everything. Everything in me, everything around me, and everything through me. As we prepare for Christmas, we recognize that our Christian faith is not just a moral code that says live up to this. The biblical way is to tell a story. And then in the telling, invite us to participate and live into this. Christian faith is not a moral code that says, live up to this. The biblical way is to tell a story, and in the telling, invite us to participate and live into this. This is what Jesus is trying to accomplish. And he's showing us how to do it first. Now, if God's love is just a part of our story, that's just about us, or about you, about me. But when your story in life is a part of God and how he is bringing his love to the people around you, that's about God's story. And that's this, that's, that's this agape love that Jesus is, is showing us. Jesus loved those who had nothing to give him in return. And this is another great point of self-examination. Who are the people that are easiest for us to love? Typically people that are either going to reciprocate that to us or people from whom we have something to gain. And when we think about that, we look again to how Jesus loved us. Jesus has nothing to gain from us. God's love doesn't expect for us to produce something on our own and then give it back to him in return. Our response is receiving and joining him in his mission as an act of love for him and for his creation. And as we looked at hope and peace and now love and preparation for celebrating the birth of our Savior, there are undoubtedly obstacles that are going to come up in the windshield that make it challenging to experience hope, to experience peace, and to experience love and to, to live love out like this. But that is precisely what's so beautiful about this season. It's not us tidying things up. It is coming to God just as we are. I remember a couple years ago, um, Eden and I were playing a, uh, a board game, Monopoly Junior, which depending on your persuasion is a form of torture. Because it's one of those games that doesn't seem to end and no one seems to win very easily. Um, but we were nearing the end of the game and Eden landed on a property that I owned. And 
she needed $10. And so she began counting her money, and she got all the way seven, eight, nine dollars and that was all she had. Her shoulders slouched, and she looked at me and said, I don't have enough. So I spiked my wad of leftover cash, stood up with my hands raised, and shouted, yes, I win. No, I took from the stack of Monopoly cash that I had, and I gave her what she needed to pay the debt that she owed. And a few turns later, and this is how Monopoly Junior works, the tables had turned. And this time it was me who came up short. And she reciprocated the gift that she'd received. God's love is so ridiculous and so extravagant. It is boundless and open to us all. The, the scandal of this is that God takes his love, gives it to us, and then empowers us as broken as we are to give it to the world around us. And we get to bring our brokenness and all the stuff that's in there to, to God as a part of his story. It's the place where our humanity is transformed by God's mercy and love. And it's where our hope and peace come from. And it's where our love for others comes from. And this is where the, this, the script is flipping. And when there is pain and loss and circumstances that separate us from this kind of feeling of love, we wonder where he could be. And yet, and in our wondering, we can wonder, why is, he, why is he so silent? What we bring all of that with us. And we look to what is written in his word that reminds us that the birth of Christ ended a 400-year period when God's people heard nothing from him. That's long enough for there to be no one longer, any longer living who had a first-person encounter with God. All they had was a story and a foretelling of what was going to come. And so when it starts to happen, they can't help but celebrate on so many levels. And there are times when there are voids in our lives where God seems absent. And maybe this Christmas is one of those for you. Where as we begin singing the, the Christmas songs that are for us to rejoice and, and and celebrate, maybe that's more labored for you this year. Jesus didn't just come so that we could be happy and so that we could celebrate all of that. He came to meet us right where we are. And there's a song that we're going to watch right now that, that is a, it shows us what this flipped script looks like to come to God as we are this Christmas season. i 
as we prepare our hearts in this final week of Advent, let the four words that lead us to Christmas minister to your heart. Don't let them serve as another to-do list of, of things that you have to prop up inside. That's not what they're about. Let them serve as a shelter in the storm for you. Let them serve as, as, as gifts that God is giving us. Let them soften your heart and renew your spirit. There is a call from Jesus to obedience in living out his love. He is first calling us to receive his love and to be softened by and then compelled to carry it out with us. And John captures this in his letter recorded in 1 John chapter 4, 11. It says, if that is how God loved us, <clears throat> then we ought to show love for one another. If that is how God loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. God is bringing his love to earth in human expression. And as we 
prepare to receive communion. That's what we're preparing to celebrate. God brought his love to earth in a human expression. And this full expression experience of God's love is receiving it and giving it away. And at this moment in time, right now, Jesus has already come. He's already lived. He's already died. And he's already defeated death and rose for us. The significance of receiving communion is remembering that God is not saying to us, earn this. He's saying, come to me and receive this. My love, my forgiveness, and my power for you. It's with me, not for me, that you can carry out my commands in obedience. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he was gathered together with a group of friends, his disciples. And after their meal, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, take and eat. This is my body, broken for you. And then the same way, he took the cup And invited them to drink of it, saying, This is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to celebrate the birth of your Son, we pray that the words of that story would jump off the page into our hearts and into our lives and help us to see what you're doing in the midst of that story. It's so much more than the birth of a baby. It's the birth of your love here on earth. It's the beginning of when you're going to show us what your love looks like through the life of your son. And so let that enter our hearts this evening and help us to carry it with us. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.